Welcome to the STSA Church Podcast. Each week, we discuss relevant, thought-provoking topics that challenge us to understand our faith more personally and engage in it more practically. We aim to communicate the depth and riches of our ancient faith in simple and understandable ways that are relatable to the modern world. Good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA where we are in part five of a series called Stories Jesus Told, The Kingdom Parables. And the reason why we're talking about parables in relation to the kingdom is because when Jesus wanted to teach people about the kingdom of God, he oftentimes, more than anything else, used parables. And the reason why he did so is because each parable, parable is another word for a story, Jesus was using these parables to change people's view and change kind of the myths that people had about the kingdom of God, but he needed to do so in ways that people could understand, and that's why he used a story. So for example, instead of Jesus coming and saying, God loves all people, all people are good, don't judge anybody. Okay, that's how we would kind of say it. But people, they didn't make any sense. So what Jesus said, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a Samaritan guy who was a hero of this story. And then all, all of a sudden they understood it. And then all one time Jesus wanted to say to the people that God is your father. If you're his son, he's always your father. You're always his son no matter what you do. He'll always accept you back. But instead of just saying it that way, which is kind of in one ear and out the other, Jesus said a man had two sons. And this son did this. And then the father did this. This is like what we do with our children. When there's something complex or something that's difficult to understand, Jesus used stories the way we do in order to open people's eyes. And the important thing that I want you to take away from this is that every week when we talk about a parable, each parable had a shock value. Like we know them so well, we've kind of heard the gospel, we know the stories, we could tell them all backwards and forwards, but the Jesus' original listeners, every parable was a... <gasps> because if it wasn't a shock, he would have just told them straightforward. But because it was so difficult for them to understand, each one was a myth buster in some way, shape, or form. But of all the parables that he told that busted the myths, today's might actually be the most shocking. And today's parable, I bet you, not only was a shocker for them who heard it, but we today, I bet you this is the one parable that we're going to talk about in this series that even we don't like. That even works against the way we think the kingdom of God does work and should work. Because here's the thing with this one that today. Like, we know the story of Jesus. We know grace. We know mercy. We know Good Friday. We know Easter Sunday. We know the whole story about how the kingdom works. But still somehow with this parable, we're like, it doesn't make any sense. And you can only imagine the people who didn't know the full story of Jesus, what they thought about it. Because today's story, before we read it, is a story of injustice, inequality, and unfairness. And it's a story about those three qualities, which not only, in this story, not only God seems to be praising, but in fact, God seems to be committing. And apparently that's what the kingdom of God is like. Which parable? It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. A parable that, like I said, most of us, we've all read it. Most of us, a lot of us would say, we don't get it. Those of us who do get it, we say, we don't like it because it just doesn't make any sense. It's about a vineyard, I'll give you the summary. It's about a man who owned a vineyard, some workers that he hired to work in that vineyard for him, which is a very common practice, and his, the, work, the owner's funny HR policies. He had very funny HR policies, and his payday schedule was very funny. 
Let's read the story. We'll read the whole thing. It's kind of long, 16 verses. We'll read the whole thing, and then we'll go back in and break it down. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for the vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. A denarius a day was the common wage, okay, at the time. That's a day's labor. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went. So the first hour would correlate to roughly six o'clock in the morning, hired people, said, I'll give you a denarius a day. Then he went out three hours later, the third hour, correlate to about nine o'clock in the morning. And he said, come work and I'll give you what's fair to you. Keeps on going. And again, he went out about the sixth hour. That would be noon. And the ninth hour, that'd be three. And even the 11th hour, which would be five o'clock p.m. So he hired people at 6 a.m., 9, 12, 3, and at 5 p.m. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Plot twist. Dun, dun, dun. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, 5 p.m., getting paid at 6, they were hired at the 11th hour. When those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, obviously, saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. That's an important sentence. So the last will be first and the first last for many are called but few chosen. Who would put this at the top of there? Oh, this is my favorite story in the Bible list. This is like, oh, th this is the one that I love to tell my kids. Okay, this is the one. No one. This, we don't like this. This doesn't make any sense. This is against all logic and common sense. Who hires someone at six in the morning and they work all day, skipping lunch, breaking their back, sweating, and then pays in the same amount as a guy who showed up at 5.15 and worked for 30, 40 minutes when all the work was done? Who pays them the same amount? This doesn't make any sense. Can you imagine this at your work? Can you imagine this if this happened to you? Let's say you're a waiter or you're a, you know, whatever kind of a, a, a staff member who, whatever, and you get paid after 12-hour day, a 12-hour shift, the same as someone who only worked one hour. This doesn't make any sense. No rational person would do this. This is not fair. Everyone would agree on that. You know, I have a, um, recently God gave me a, a unique view of this parable because I actually in some ways was the vineyard owner twice over the past month or so okay over at the the building that we're building in Arlington okay we needed we had some work we had uh, shipments big containers coming with the pews and the iconostasis and the wood coming from overseas and all these different things so we need to hire some guys to unload the the stuff so I'm the guy with the wad of cash Okay, and I, you have to have like a wad of it, like it's got to be, you've got to have a wad of cash. 
So I agreed with them on a certain amount of money, and at the end of the day, you've got to pay them. And if you've never done this before, this is very uncomfortable. At least for me, it is. I don't know. I'm like, I don't, like the Godfather movies or Goodfellas or something like that. Because you got a wad of cash, and you got people. They're all nice. They're not saying anything about them. But every one of them was lobbying for more money. Every one of them was saying, we worked hard. We worked fast. And I'm like, hey, we agreed per hour, you know, amigo, whatever it is. And I'm telling them this. And he's like, but we worked fast, so we should get more. And then we're having this discussion. And I, I, I can't imagine if I had decided to pay them more, especially the one who came late. Like, they'd have killed me. I wouldn't be standing here in front of you today. They'd have killed me. But if I did decide to pay the end guy more, if I did, I wouldn't be dumb enough to pay him first. <laughs> I'd pay the early guy, shake his hand, be on your way, and then it's my right to pay whatever I want. Like I, that's what the, the story said. It's my right. I could pay whatever I want. But let the first guy go home. Let him go home in peace, what he agreed with. And then you want to do a charity to the, the, the 11th hour guy? By all means. But who in the right mind does this? This is, I'm rubbing it in your face. This is, I'm showing you that you're getting less than you deserve because that guy worked for 15 minutes and he got a denarius. I'm rubbing salt in the womb. How is this fair? How does this make any sense? How is Jesus commending this guy? And then more importantly, how is Jesus saying, this is how God works in the kingdom? Before I answer that question, let me tell you another story, a story you may know. This is a story about a guy in your office. He's a slacker. He doesn't work hard at all. He shows up late every day. He barely get, meets his deadlines. He's the guy on Zoom who thinks he's so slick. We all see that he's checking his email. We all see it, okay? He thinks he's so slick. He doesn't pay attention. He's a slacker. He's the opposite of you. You're a hard worker. You meet your goals and objectives. You are told by your boss, if you meet these KPIs and these target metrics, you'll receive this promotion after three years. And you worked your tail off and you met those targets and you got promoted after three years. He'd been on the job for six months and he got the same promotion. How do you feel? How do you feel? This is, tell you another story. This is, you're married and you are trying to have kids but God hasn't opened that door yet. You've done everything right. You've done everything the doctors have told you. You've done everything the priest has told you. You've got medicine and science and religion all got covered. You've done everything right. God hasn't opened the womb. So you start that long journey, that long journey to do whatever it takes to have the baby. And you are working. And for those who have gone through this, you know this is blood, sweat, and tears. This is highs and lows. This is not an easy process. Parents who have gone through this, you know this. And then after years of doing this, God opens the womb and it's successful. And now you're pregnant. And the same week that you find out you're pregnant, you find out that those two newlywed couples who've been married for 20 minutes also are expecting. Oh, what is twins? How do you feel? Be honest. You feel that's not fair. That's not fair. There's no way that's fair. You feel like, okay, God, I'm not saying they don't deserve it. What I'm saying is, I deserve more. I deserve better. I'm not saying they don't deserve. They don't deserve the same as me. Because I've been working harder. I got here earlier. The genius of Jesus, why he told stories, because Jesus knew how to hit deep-seated problems in subtle ways. 
Like I said, if he had just come out and said the lesson, people would have been like, you don't know what you're talking about. But Jesus knew how to tell a story. And that story would subtly, discreetly, hit something that's wrong inside all of us when it comes to thinking about his kingdom. And that is this. Here's the myth. Here's the problem that sometimes we believe. Let's be honest. We've all believed this. I'm more fair than God. I'm more fair than God. God is good. God is great. God is the best. God is love. God is everything. Yes, 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 yes. But God is not always fair. I'm more fair. I know what I deserve. God didn't give me what I deserve. That's okay. I forgive him. Cue the lightning. None of us would ever say this. But if you look at this parable, like explain to me how this parable is fair. Like in this parable, the master, again, the master has a right to pay whatever he wants, as God does with his kingdom. But don't tell me it's fair. Like I agree, the owner of the vineyard, you have the right to pay, but it doesn't make it fair. Like especially these days, like especially the world that we live in today is 2023, is different than when we were growing up. Now we know the difference between equality and equity. It's a big thing that's discussed these days. Okay, equality and equity. In this story right here, the master treats everyone equally. There's equality, but we know that equality and equity are not the same thing. That they all received equal, but by giving them all equal, you actually treated one very unequitably or unfairly, let's say. By giving them all the same, you treated them unfairly. Parents, we get this. We don't give our kids the same thing. We give them what's fair. By this master treating them the same, I believe he treated them unfairly. Do you agree with that? So therefore, I'm more fair than God. Before I answer this question, how we address this, there's a slight elephant in the room that needs to be discussed if we've ever had this thought. You know what the elephant in the room is? The elephant in the room is, it's funny for me to question God's fairness. Because I am not fair. And you are not fair. And if we're honest, fairness is not our strong suit. We think it is. We like to say that it is. But if we're honest, look at the way you judge your actions, a certain action, when you do it versus someone else does it. Again, you're late to a meeting or a dinner or a party or whatever. You're late. Oh, they should understand. I'm busy. Got things going on. What's the big deal? Someone else is late? Jerk. Inconsiderate. Rude. You're speeding down the road. It's okay. You know what? Like, it, it's because I'm late to church. I got to get to church. Okay? Or I'm coming from church. Or I'm thinking of going to church tomorrow. Like, something church-related. That's why I'm speeding. What's the big deal? Someone else drives by? Throw them in jail. That's the reason that, that, that person needs to be thrown in jail. Someone li else lies? They're deceiving me. I tell a little white lie, and I'm protecting the innocent. For them, it's gossip. For me, it's prayer requests. Kids in church. My kids misbehave? Give me a break. You don't know what it's been a long week. Their kids misbehave? That's what's wrong with this country. <laughs> the idea that I am fair, that I am the measure of fairness, come on. We're not fair. We're completely unfair. We're completely biased towards ourselves. So the idea that I can judge God's fairness, hold your horses. God is just. God is fair. And just because we don't understand it isn't an indictment on him. It's an indictment on me. 
I'll give you a couple of verses right here in case you think God is unfair. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, the labor is worthy of his wages. So in case you think that Jesus is not pro-fair wage, okay, he's pro-fair wage. He said the labor is worthy of his wages. Another verse here from James chapter 5, verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. In other words, what James is saying right here is, God cares. If you cheat the worker out of his money, God cares. God cares because God is just. Then explain this story to me is what I would say to James. Because it seems like God himself is commending the cheating of the worker. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago. This parable, like when we talked about the fig tree, it wasn't an agriculture convention. Okay, we were talking to botanists to talk about the size of mustard seeds and trees. He's teaching a lesson about the kingdom. And here, this is not a convention for uh, human uh, HR departments and pay policies. He's talking about the kingdom and how the kingdom works. And the setup for this story, this is Matthew chapter 20, from verse 1 to verse 16. Let's go to the passage right before it, Matthew chapter 19, the very tail end of it, and it will help us to understand why Jesus gave this parable. Because every parable was in response, usually, to a question or a comment or something that Jesus was trying to hit at. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, Peter asks the Lord a question. He says, Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? In other words, Peter is saying, Jesus, we love you. You're the best. We sacrifice everything for you. But just curious, what's going to be our reward? We're not doing it for the reward. But what's the reward? What do we get? We left everything. Those people didn't leave everything. We did. What do we get? And Jesus says to him, I got your reward. I'll give you an answer. But it might not be exactly what you think. First, he says, there is a reward for following me. He says, assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. This is good. There's a reward for following him. But, and it begins, but, but Peter, watch out. Because many who are first will be last and the last first. Have you heard that sentence before? Many who are last will be first and the first last. Where did you just hear that? That's at the end of the parable that he's about to tell. So in other words, Jesus has this discussion with Peter, something about a reward, and Jesus is like, hold on here, Peter. Many who are last will be first, then I tell you this story, and then many who are last will be first again. So in other words, lesson, example, or illustration of it, lesson again. Many who are last will be first, here's a story that explains it, many who are first will be last again. So in other words, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is giving us, it's really one lesson, but I'm going to break it into two to help us understand it a little bit right here. What Jesus is telling us is that there might be some surprises when all is said and done. Things might not work out exactly the way you think it. And I'm going to break this down into two lessons right here. The first lesson that Jesus tells us is the kingdom has no room for comparison. The kingdom has no room for comparison. There is no room in my kingdom, Jesus says, for comparison. Comparison is a nice way of saying what? What's a not nice way of saying comparison? Judging. But I said, let me stick with comparison. Because I say judging, you say that's somebody else. Jesus says, in my house, in my kingdom, 
No one looks around. No one judges. No one compares. Again, back to the parable. Does the master have a right to give to the last worker as much as he wants? Yes. And in a lot of times we'd say, that's charity, that seemed good. The only reason that giving the last guy that full amount, the only reason that's bad is because it's in comparison to what he gave the first guy. But I'm saying in an isolated state, if I hired you at 6 in the morning, gave you a denarius, and then the next day I hired someone else at 5 o'clock, gave them a denarius, everybody is fine as long as nobody sees anybody else. Well, that's why Jesus says, no comparison in my house. All eyes up, no eyes looking around. What God does with each one, how God deals with each one, the gifts God gives to each one, how God works in each one's life, no looking around, no room for comparison in my house. If you look at the fathers of the church and how they interpret this parable, allegorically, there's every parable, I told you this in the beginning, can have many interpretations and you can learn many lessons from it. So the fathers of the church sometimes, often, would interpret this as people coming at the beginning, first hour, third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour, eleventh hour, and all receiving the same reward as seeing people who came to Christ in different eras of history, different eras of salvation. So the people who came in Adam, the people who came in Noah, the people who came through Moses, the people who came through the prophets, and then ultimately the people who came through Jesus. All of them in Christ are one and the same. Those who came in Moses are not greater than those who came through David. Do you understand my point? Different eras of salvation. Also, it's sometimes interpreted not as eras of salvation, but one's own life. Is that some people come to Christ in the early years. Some people come to Christ in the middle years. Some people come to Christ at the very end. And all, all are accepted in front of Christ, and the reward is the same for every one of them. St. John Chrysostom says it this way, speaking about that, that interpretation. He says, by the vineyard, Jesus means the injunction of God and his commandments. By the time of laboring, this present life. By laborers, them that are called in different ways to the fulfillment of the injunctions. By early morning, the third, sixth, ninth, and eleventh hours, them who at different ages have drawn near to God and proved themselves. Point is, kingdom for all. All available to all, no matter when you come, no matter how you come, no matter through what you come, God's vineyard, God's kingdom is open to all regardless of how it is that you come. And it's none of your business how others come. And it's none of your business when others come. And it's none of your business why God chooses to reward them the same way that he rewards you. It's none of your business. Human nature, we don't like none of your business. We like to know why that and how come that and explain that. I'll show you a passage right now from John chapter 21. John chapter 21 is the last chapter in the, in the Gospel of St. John. So it's after the resurrection. And there's a famous part in it where it's called the restoration of Peter. Peter, if you, as you remember, before Christ's death, had denied Christ three times. And Peter was feeling very bad about it. Because they said, you're his disciple. He said, no, I don't know the guy. I don't know anything about him. He denied Christ. Not once, not twice, but thrice. Three times. And Jesus predicted it. He said, you're going to deny me. Peter said, I'll never deny you. He denied him. At his time of greatest need, Jesus was denied by his greatest disciple, St. Peter. So St. Peter was feeling so bad. So Jesus came to him. And he wanted to show him all is forgiven. Peter. He said, do you love me? He said, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. And he did this three times. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And Jesus told him, Peter. 
You're good. I'm going to make you great. You're going to witness to my name in great ways. You're actually going to give your life. You're going to be a martyr. And many people are going to come to Christ through your life and through your death. What was Peter's response when Jesus said that? John chapter 20. Or John, John 21, verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. Who's the disciple whom Jesus loved? John. So then Peter saw John following. Peter saw John following, and Peter seeing him said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Peter, hold on. Peter, 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 stick with me here. You just felt so bad. You're the worst person on the planet. You hate your life. Jesus came and said, Peter, you're good. I forgive you. Everything is fine. You're going to be great. Okay, good. What about him? Like one second later? Like one second? Not like, like one second later? That's your first thought? It's okay. What about him? I thought about this. Okay, if you have two children, I don't know if your children are like my children. I'm a, I'm a second child, so this is a second child kind of a story right here. So with the two children, if I go to my second child and I say to her, uh, here's two cookies, one for you and one for your brother. Choose whichever one you want. She'd say, okay, I want that one. I'd say, okay, good, because your brother wanted that. She'll say, actually, I want that one now. <laughs> That's a second child thing. I would have done the same thing to my older brother and any second child here, if you have any guts, you would admit you would do the exact same thing. That's what Peter's doing. Peter said, I, well, what's going to happen to him? That's human nature. And Jesus shuts him down right away. And he says what? He says, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And it didn't say shut your mouth and follow me, but I think it was implied. <laughs> what is that to you? What is that to you? What's your business? You follow me. You, again, eyes on me, eyes on me. Isn't that what teachers say? Eyes on me, one, two, three, eyes on me, whatever it is. That's what Jesus says. Look, in the kingdom, there's no room for this. The book of Revelation talks about in the kingdom, there's no light. You know why there's no light in the kingdom of heaven? Because Jesus is the light. He's in the center. All eyes on him. Kingdom of God is not this. Kingdom of God is not this. It's not looking around. Kingdom of God is all eyes up. All eyes on the light. All eyes on Jesus. Let me say this more bluntly. You cannot live in the kingdom of God if you're always comparing yourself to others. You cannot live in the kingdom of God. You are always judging others and comparing them to yourself. You can't. You can try. But I'm telling you, comparison will kick you out of the kingdom of God. You know why? Because there's only one of two possible outcomes anytime you compare. There's two possible outcomes. Both are bad. Either you're going to judge yourself as better than the other person, pride, you're out, or you're going to judge yourself as worse than the other person, discouragement, you're going to kick yourself out again. There's no good that comes of comparison. You're either going to see yourself as better or worse, and both of those are bad outcomes. There's no room for comparison in the kingdom of God. The second lesson that we learn from this parable, human standards of judgment which are merit-based, don't apply in the kingdom. Human standards of judgment, which are merit-based, do not apply in the kingdom. We as human beings, we like merit-based. Merit-based means if A, then B. If C, then D. We like it that way. doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. Now, this is especially dangerous if you grew up in the church, if you grew up in the Orthodox church. 
This is especially dangerous. You know why merit-based is especially dangerous for us? Because we do a lot. We do a lot. We fast a lot. We pray a lot. We stand a lot. We bow a lot. We a lot of everything. Whatever there is in Christianity, give us extra of that. That's how the Orthodox Church works. And then we discover we extra of those. We do a lot. And there's a danger. There's a temptation that you will think that your quantity means that you are quality. The temptation. You will think that who attends the most, who prays the most, who fasts the most, who, I fast without the fake chicken nuggets. So then you're the best person because you even have the fake chicken nuggets. Then you are the most spiritual. You have the best place in heaven. You're the best. There's a temptation to think merit-based. Merit-based doesn't work in the kingdom. Merit-based doesn't work in the kingdom. The kingdom is not merit-based. And I'll tell you how you know when you're susceptible to this. I find myself personally, we're all susceptible. When you know when you're susceptible is when you're spiritually in a low place. When you're in a low place, you know what you do? You find yourself keeping score. You ever been at that place where you're keeping score? Where you're telling God about your running tally? God, I did. And God, I did. And I'm going to fast a little bit extra. And you're not doing it out of love. You're not going to church a little early out of desire to worship. You're keeping score. You've got the tally. And you know what God owes you at the end of the... You know the bill that you're going to send God at the end. So here you go, God. This is what you owe me today. Be careful. It's dangerous to think good things happen because we're good. You know why it's so dangerous? If you think that God is blessing you because you did good, if you think God is going to bless you just because you did good, you know what's going to happen at some point? You're not going to do good. And then what's going to happen? I'll give you an example. Let's say you think to yourself, I'm driving down the road, cop, I drove by a cop going too fast, he didn't pull me over. It must be because I did my quiet time today. Because I did my quiet time, I didn't get pulled over. Okay, that's great. Like, what's, what's wrong with that? That seems like a good thought. It encouraged me to do more quiet time. Or your mom was sick, and you prayed really hard. You said God healed her because I prayed really hard. Okay, that's good. It encourages prayer. That's good, right? What happens when you pray really hard and your mom doesn't get healed? Does that mean your prayers were no good? What happens when the cop pulls you over? That means your quiet time was bogus? Do you see the danger? If you attribute blessing of God, good things, to when I did good things, what happens when things don't work out? Then all of a sudden, find yourself in a bad situation. Psalm 16, verse 2, tells us the approach we need to have. King David says, You are my Lord, my goodness is nothing apart from you. Let's say that all together. Repeat after me. You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Let's say it like we mean it. My goodness is nothing apart from you. This is the way we need to approach life. Yeah, we should pray. Yeah, we should do our quiet time. Yeah, we should do all these things. But any good... It's nothing apart from you. It's not because of me. It's only because of you. And your goodness some days gets me out of the ticket. Some days gives me the ticket and says, slow down, son. Your goodness. Your goodness. I'm nothing apart from your goodness, O Lord. Can you accept that? Is that a hard concept for you? Can you accept that your blessing is not because you are good, but because he is good? 
And I'll tell you how you can tell if you accept it or not. Can you accept that his same blessing is upon that person who is not as good as you? Is that okay with you? You accept it or you don't accept it? That God can bless someone who's not as good as you. And I'm putting the good in the old air quotes right here. That someone who doesn't go to church as much as you. That someone who doesn't, that someone who eats those fake chicken nuggets, it's okay if you eat the fake chicken nuggets. Everyone knows they don't taste like real chicken nuggets. Can you accept that God could bless that person as much as you? Because the Jews couldn't accept it. They couldn't accept it. That's what self-righteousness means. It says, no way. No way you give them as much as us. We're the chosen people. We're the special. We've been here since the beginning. We got Moses. We got history on our side. We got pedigree. We deserve better than them. And you may not say it in those exact words, but watch out. If you find yourself pointing to others and saying, how come God? Why they deserve God? Be careful. You know why? Because anything you say about that other person can be equally true of you. Why you give that person God they sinned? Why you gave that person God they didn't whatever? Why you give that person God they have this bad habit? Why you gave that person? Be careful. Because God may one day say the same thing back to you. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 24. St. Paul says it this way. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. Again, there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The kingdom is not merit-based. The kingdom is about grace. The kingdom, grace means undeserved, unearned. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with merit. Said another way, God's grace is a response to our need, not our deed. That's a poet and didn't know it. <laughs> grace is God's response to our need, not to our deed. He doesn't give us his grace because we earned it. He gives us his grace because we need it. You know why we struggle with this parable? Like, let's be honest. Let, let, let's just go straight to the... My time's almost up here, so I'm just going to go straight to the recruiter. You know why we don't like this parable? Because we like systems. We like if A, then B. That's what we like. And this parable seems random. This parable seems like any guy can just show up at any time he wants and get... Like, so it's not, it's not working. This is chaos. This is chaos. No. There's a system. Our God is a God of order. All things decently in order. This parable is actually perfectly ordered. It's cause and effect. We think the cause should be our merit. The effect should be God's reward. Well, you're right on the reward, on the effect. It's God's reward. But the cause is not our merit. The cause is not our working. The cause is His grace. His grace. And that's why His grace, that's why the parable makes perfect sense. Cause, His grace, result, His kingdom. That's it. So if you change either of those variables, yeah. If you change the grace, yeah, there's no kingdom. But if the grace is there, A always leads to B, regardless of what time you showed up, regardless of what you were wearing when you showed up. God's grace is a response to our need, not our deed. And I'll prove it to you. Every person in this parable received God's grace in the exact same way. Every person in this parable received the exact 
same amount of grace. Every person. Where's the grace of God in this story? It's not in the payment. Where do you see the grace of God in this parable? It's not in the denarius, which by the end of the day, they probably spent it on whatever or lost it and went down the sewer, whatever it is. That's not the grace of God. The grace of God in this story is seen somewhere else. Where? Not necessarily. In the invitation. In the invitation. Because this vineyard owner, I'll be honest with you, he doesn't seem like a very smart vineyard owner. He doesn't seem like a very smart employer. Because he went out in the morning, and who did he hire in the morning? Everyone that he saw. And then he went back, and they're doing their work. He invited them in, and then he thought to himself, what if there's other people out there? What if there's other people? And they don't have anything to do. And they're just stuck there. Can't leave them. And he went out and hired more. Okay, you got enough. And then not only you got enough, you got all the good ones. If somebody is a worker, and they're not out there by the third hour, you know where they probably are? They're asleep because they're lazy, or the night before they had a little too much to drink. They're bad workers. They're probably drunk. They're probably hungover. They're lazy. So stop hiring them. He said, okay, I'm going to stop hiring. Then about the sixth hour, he said, but someone else could be out there. And they need to be in this vineyard. So he went out at the sixth hour. And he went out the night, and even went out at the eleventh hour. At that point in time, you are not getting your money's worth for someone who's only going to work one hour. You're getting the lowest of the low employee, someone who's not going to add any value, but I need them in my vineyard. I need them in my vineyard. You know, what does this sound a lot like? Tell me what you hear or what you think of when I tell you that someone, a master who's very rich, doesn't need anybody, but keeps going after one after another to bring them into his house. Isn't that Jesus? Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? I need Levi. No, Levi's no good. No, I need him. Bring him in here. I need the Samaritan woman. No, no, no. She's no good. She's not good. We're a group of men here. That's not going to be good for us here. No, we need her. We need him. We need that guy. We need Zacchaeus. We need every single person. That's the way Jesus was. And you see, where's the grace of God? The grace of God had nothing to do with people's behavior. Jesus' invitation had nothing to do with people's behavior. It had to do with their great need for him. St. Paul says it this way, one of the best verses in the scripture. If you're looking for a memory verse, you struggle to know grace of God. Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Ah! Where sin abounded, grace abounded what? Grace abounded? Much more. I'd have been fine if it said sin and grace equal to each other. That'd have been more than enough for me. But he said, where grace abounded, sin abounded, I'm sorry, where sin abounded, grace abounded more. Is that what he said? Where sin abounded, grace abounded more. Is that what he said? Much more. Much more. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That's our God. That's our kingdom. The kingdom of God is most active where the need is greatest. Not the opposite. We think the opposite. We want the kingdom most active when we earned it the most. That's not how it works. It doesn't say where righteousness abounded, grace abounded more. Where holiness abounded. No, that's not how it works. That's how the Jews wanted it. That's how, if we're honest, that's how we want it. That's how we in the church want it. But that's not the kingdom. 
In fact, if you go back to the parable, one last thing I'll point out. If you go back to when the master paid them, look at the word that's interesting right here. Back to Matthew 16. It says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Why did I highlight that word give? What did he not say? He didn't say pay. Like when I was with those guys in the building who were unloading the thing, I didn't think I was giving them anything. I was paying them. You work four hours, you get four hours worth. You work more, you work harder, you work less. One guy didn't want to work very hard, so he said, okay, you go home. You're not earning it. That wasn't a gift. That was a payment. But Jesus says what here? He says, between me and you, this isn't wages. This isn't payment. It's all a gift. Nothing you do can earn the gift. Nothing you do. Said another way. We don't enter the kingdom by earning it, but rather by accepting it. It's not a payment. It's not a merit. It's a gift. It's a gift freely given by our rich heavenly father. And in his kingdom, there's no merit-based and there's no comparison. Those are the two lessons we're going to walk away with today. You ask yourself, when you hear of people coming to Christ after living a life of sin, that person who you grew up with and you've seen their social media and you know, they got tattoos and they got stuff and their social media, whatever it is, and then they all of a sudden show up in the church secretly. Do you rejoice or you don't rejoice? When you hear people who are in the church, but not as much as you're in the church, and you hear about God's blessing in their life, secretly, you get annoyed or you rejoice? Flip it. When you're the one who gets the blessing, actually, no, let me say it better. When you're the one who's doing good, are you keeping score of the blessing that God owes you? If any of those are true for you, I'm not saying you're a bad person, what I'm saying is you, like the rest of us, are a human being and there's some work that Jesus wants to do to teach you about his kingdom. Because his kingdom, as we learned in this parable, it's not about our deeds, but it's about our need. It's not merit-based, it's grace-based, and there is no room for comparison in the kingdom of God. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, words are not enough to express our gratitude for your great grace. None of us deserves your grace. All of us, at some point in time, were that worker of the 11th hour who deserved absolutely nothing, that you invited us into your house and gave us a chance to be here today. We thank you for that, Lord, and we pray that you would do a work inside all of us, that we would no longer be comparing and judging and looking around and, and keeping score as if we have anything valuable to offer you. We love you so much, Lord. We appreciate your grace more than anything, and it's our greatest desire that the entire universe would come to know your grace and be part of your heavenly kingdom and put a smile on your face. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
We hope today's message inspires you in your faith journey. And at the end of this episode, we invite you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube